You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. Hey, man. Welcome to the show, Marcus. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It sounds like you guys are doing some wonderful things. You know, mentoring was such an important piece of our lives while we were on active duty. It's important for us to hold on to some of those things that give us structure in our life now that we've transitioned out. And kudos to you guys for picking up on that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to come up with the name Mentors for Military was just that aspect right there. You know, when you think about it, especially non-commissioned officers, how much time we spend in coaching and mentoring our troops, it is one of those aspects that we don't want to leave And not to mention, we want to be able to pull up those individuals behind us that are wanting to kind of move forward and hopefully provide some kind of advice. So appreciate that very much. Oh, absolutely. So you've been doing a lot of that yourself since you've been off active duty. As I understand it, you've been quite busy. And uh, maybe you can kind of tell us about some of these uh, different speaking engagements and everything that you've been going to, because it's quite fascinating. Oh, man, it's been absolutely wonderful. You know, uh, didn't really know what I was going to do with myself whenever I got injured. So uh, to run across this opportunity for, with such a fabulous organization and for them to just give me the opportunity to, you know, find a little bit of healing uh, in myself and something that I can share with others on a regular basis. And that's the most important thing for me. Uh, I never did any of this because I wanted accolades or I wanted money. I mean, sure. My God, I mean, there's so much better ways to do it if that's what you want. Right. Uh, we did it because there was something inside us, something you know that spoke to a larger cause, something that spoke to, you know, a, a need to give back to those in our community. And now that I've transitioned out of the military, I've found another way to do that exact same thing. But instead of just giving back to my regular community, I'm giving back to my to my second family. I'm giving back to the people that that mean so much to me because of what we've gone through and because of what I know that they're going through now. When you say that, it's funny. A lot of veterans, our family, our population, our military family, we we don't understand how like the percentage of people that are struggling and are going through the same issues that we are. But for what you're doing, especially finding that avenue that is, I, I'm assuming, helping you come to peace with yourself. But oh, absolutely. putting yourself out there for others, you know, you, you are essentially saving lives of people, of your family that you'll never meet. And I think, you know, that's one thing, especially with us on the show, It's it's been extremely healing for me. Even though we are now in the public eye, it's it that that's not what it's about. It's like we are we're coming together now for the people that that can't. So for when you're saying that, like I can definitely feel like you have found your purpose in life, and you're and you're showing that there is another purpose in life for other veterans. That's that's just awesome. Absolutely. Have you found that that was one of the things that you struggled the most with, though, is trying to find that purpose or passion, or was it something that just I mean, you ran right into as soon as you came off active duty. How did that kind of work out? Oh, no, I was absolutely lost in the sauce, you know, just I had no clue what I was going to do or where I was going to go. Everything just fell apart for me all at once. And nothing, you know, I, I didn't I had absolutely no plan. I had absolutely, you know, no vision of where I was going to go. And it was just, you know, a, a chance encounter at the hospital uh, from a. Uh, Actually, my dad works with uh, a gentleman that worked with the boot campaign, 
and he was good friends with Chris Kyle. And he told him a little bit about what I was going through. And he stepped out on his own and went and visited me in the hospital. Oh, wow. And that dude spent an entire day with me at the hospital. You know, it was the first time somebody had ever stepped into that room just to be there for me instead of trying to get something out of me for their own benefit. Sure. And it really opened my eyes to, wow, there is a, there is another path out there. There is something else for us. I saw the, you know, the joy and the, the relief that he got out of being there and doing that for me. Yeah. You could almost see the weight being lifted off his shoulders as he was there, just getting into the conversation just ignoring everything else that was going on. And as I'm watching that unfold in front of me, it's like the lights are going off. There's, there's something else out there and I need to, I need to get out there and I need to find out what it is because if it's something that can help me, maybe it can help others. Wow. You just gave me chills, brother. I know. I was just thinking, <laughs> like one thing that I found, especially coming out and transitioning, like you said, you just feel so lost and alone and you feel like, and I'm sh- assuming, I mean, I've never, uh, had to spend any time in the hospital, but how isolated and just completely alone being in there, but to have someone go in there like that, you know, that there's that, that connection that like they care, you know what I mean? Like we're here because we care. And even though they may not understand the multitude of emotions and things that you may be feeling, but the fact that they care and the fact that you recognize that and that you knew like you knew that it was time for like that was your purpose like that you're calling to go and help other veterans because you know how crappy it feels to feel that way and to be alone but i mean and that's why we're doing what we're doing because it's getting out there and helping those that are feeling lost like we're trying to bring them back home and i i most of the guys that we've talked to on this show it's like the most fulfilling thing that they've had coming out of the military is continuing that service. What, you know, you're not on the front lines or the battlefield anymore, but you're still continuing that service. And it's just, like you said, that connection, it just, it's a calling. It really is. You know, we all share something very unique. We all took this, this journey and we took it together. Yeah. And when the journey ended, we had gone through something that changed us. And when we came home and we had to leave that family and we got scattered back across the States, even though we were back among our family and our friends that had known us our entire lives, now suddenly they're the strangers. They can't relate to the things that are bothering me in life. They don't see things the way that I see them anymore. I feel more lost at home than I ever did when I was on the other side of the world with perfect strangers. That's now my family. Those are the people that I run to when I need comfort because they're the only ones that get it. Yeah. We had a former officer that was on the show, Special Forces, and that was one of the things that he was talking about, that he had a neighbor whose father was a Vietnam vet and didn't understand what his son was going through. Uh, I don't think his father ever saw combat, but he was just saying you know, to this recently separated or retired officer that... My son, I, I don't understand him. I, I can't, I don't understand why he's like he is or, you know, why he doesn't talk like he used to or, you know, why isn't basically he the same person as he was before he, he left? 
the officer told him, you, you'll never get it. It's it's just one of those things that since you didn't experience it, don't try to figure it out. Just be there for him. Listen to him. You know, take what you do have. These are the moments that you have right now and quit trying to, to put that individual back in the past. And I think that a lot of the stuff that I read, you know, with PTSD is part of that issue is that uh, individuals don't feel like they themselves are the same person because they're constantly reminded of that by their loved ones and friends. And it's a, it's a tough transition to be reassimilated. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man, it's such a hard thing. People, when you're trying to relate that concept to people, uh, I, I try and talk about like car accidents because it's something that so many people have experienced. And I try and like walk them through that experience. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what you, what you heard, what you smelled, what you tasted? I said, do you remember that moment when you realized what was going to happen? You slammed on the brakes and it felt like the world just went into slow motion. I said, well, that was five seconds of your life. Imagine seven months of that constantly, hours upon hours, every single day. You're different. Everything's different. Right. It's just like you said, it's reoccurring, especially the longer you spend in and the people that you meet, you just, it's like you're re, how you were supposed to be is completely rewritten. And I think a lot of, a lot of the problem is, is that when we come back, you know, you go, you're thrown back into your original life, which of course your family is ecstatic because they, that's what they want. You know, they want that comfort again, but you're completely rewritten and they don't understand that. And I think we and we as vets, we don't understand that. And a lot of the issue is, is just there's so much guilt on both sides of not being able to come together and, and be the person that was bef- who you were before and them feeling guilty because they may not accept the person you are now. And, I, you know, I've run in that struggle with my family as well. And it's just everybody says time heals all wounds. And I guess it's like you you do. You have to reintroduce yourself and and re-meet yourself before you, you know, when you come back home, it's, yeah, I feel <laughs> you're bringing out a whole bunch of blubbering in, in me for sure. Cause it is, it's such a struggle and it's such a, it's like, you're in this, this cloud of constant, like wondering if this is, if you're ever going to be able to be that person again. Well, and, you, and I think that's what a lot of us, that we, we're not. You didn't oh, get ahead. a chance to really have the type of transition that most people in, in you know, the span of a career, six years, 10 years, 12 years in the military, and you, you have that transition by, by having medical conditions that you know, change and modify your career within the military. There's probably, it, it's much different than I would say the, the average transition, I'm assuming, and so you didn't get the closure. It wasn't like, okay, I've defined that this date is going to be my separation date and I'm going to do this as a career job. Unfortunately, when we've talked with individuals who've uh, separated based on medical discharge, it's more abrupt. It's you've got to make life changes. Things are much different for you now. How, how was that for you, Marcus, in, in trying to make that transition? I'm sure that was a lot harder as well because you weren't able to define that date oh no you know it it felt like a sprint you know it was like from the second we got injured we started doing paperwork we started working on the process documenting every surgery everything that went into our body everything that came out of our body all of our limitations for the next year all you're going to do is test yourself and 
you know, take note of everything that's now wrong with you. And you take that before the board and they certify whether or not they agree that it's wrong or not wrong. And by the time you've gone through all of that, now the paperwork starts coming back and you still haven't done any of your normal transition stuff. There's no checking out of units. There's no going to the transition assistance program. Right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, there is none of that. None of that's there for us. It's now in a full-on sprint to absolutely everything we possibly can do. Get this guy out the door because that's what we're screaming at him at this point. Oh, my gosh. Like you're in that hospital. I don't want to hear you say tap. I don't want to hear you say I've got to go through another sexual awareness class. I don't want to hear you say anything to me other than here's your DD-214. Goodbye. So with uh, – oh, I'm like furious now. It's like, so you, you're in there in the hospital. Like your life just came to a complete abrupt stop with, without any of your knowing. Like you have – you did not know that what was going to happen to you happened to you. You're oh, in the God. hospital and they're rushing you through this process. Finally, you're out with your DD-214 and then this is the reason vets are killing themselves. This is the reason vets – are homeless and don't have a clue on what to do with their life. And I thank, thank God that that gentleman walked in there in your hospital room and you had that bond. Could you imagine if that didn't happen? You wouldn't be able to feel that purpose, that need that ultimately, I'm assuming, it was a process of that saved your life. Oh, you know, especially with how the hospital just treated you like garbage. Like, ugh. So they didn't even offer you, Marcus, a transition assistance program. That is just crazy to me that they're going to throw you into society and now a medical condition that is life-altering that's going to change how you do things today, and yet they didn't prepare you in any way, shape, or form. It's just, okay, you know, you're, you're now medically cleared, you're out of the hospital, your documentation is complete, here you go, thank you for your service, goodbye. Oh, yeah, well, don't get me wrong, it's not like we don't get... A transition program it's just we get one that's slightly modified you know you're not going through the full-blown class why even, not though it's even like those a check classes. in the box yeah even those class and that's like you know how that is with the military it's like you have to check the box just so that yep. you can have the numbers but for for the people that you're leaving a hospital you're not just walking out of the door with your dd-214 you know like oh i have this plan in life but you're leaving the hospital you think they would have an extensive program to make sure that everything is set up for you so that you have no questions about what you need to do after you get out but not only that but just mentally that you're prepared for your brand new life that you did not ultimately choose you know what i mean so that's just crazy to me it is crazy, but, you know, it, that's the military. They did it in the absolute traditional military manner. They knew what items they had to do. They knew what boxes they had to check. But they had so many people that they were trying to care for and trying to get through that system that there's absolutely no way that they could make sure that we were all adequately prepared to transition out. That, then you know what? That falls back a lot on the unit, too. Like, I, I feel oh, like the yeah. unit should have stood up for you guys. Your your chain of command should have been like, hey, you know, I mean, how long were you in the hospital after your injury? 27 months. 27 months. Wow. So your command should have been there every single day making sure. Because you know, ultimately, I mean, they know, you know, it's a big, it's the elephant in the room. Like, hey, you're getting out of the military. Not your choice. You know what I mean? So... They should have been there every single day saying, probing you with questions and information about 
ultimately how you are going to be a contributing factor to society. You know, I think overall the system failed. Whomever the responsibility is, I think there's a system disconnect here. I mean, because I'm assuming, Marcus, they had you on a plan for physical therapy, for different types of things like that to help you from a medical standpoint. I'm assuming. Again, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, we started on a plan. Oh, okay. But there's a certain <laughs> point where it suddenly becomes optional. Not for it's, you, though, for them. For for both of us, really. It, it gets to the point where uh, they just really don't care if you're going to your appointments and doing what you have to do as long as you don't get in trouble and don't skyline them. Typical military fashion. Wow. Oh, that's just... I mean, and I, I have to say, other than the physical injuries that you have, just your mental fortitude to be where you are now and to recognize how you're feeling and to be open about it, especially with other vets. Like I said earlier, like you are saving people's lives because, and the people that listen to this show and listen to your story and everything that you, all the garbage that you had to go through, but where you're at now, I mean, seriously, it will, it will put a boot up somebody's butt that they need, you know, and to stop feeling sorry for themselves and to continue on with life because ultimately vets are there for vets, but ultimately we are responsible for our own well-being because there is no, we may not have that, that gentleman that comes into the hospital room or somebody, a phone call away. Take us back a little bit, maybe Marcus, to 2011 and the, the incident we're talking about because to make our listeners kind of get a picture and understand some of the challenges that you went through. And obviously you've seen a lot of your fellow veterans and peers go through some of the same challenges, but you came into the Marine Corps eight years prior to when the incident actually occurred. Yeah. You know, uh, well, I grew up in little West Texas town. Uh, It's famous for high school football and oil. So not a whole lot of promising life options coming out of that particular town. Uh, but I was going to try and make everything that I could out of out of what I was given. I was going to college, wanted to get my teaching certificate. I was going to go back to school, and uh, I was going to be the teacher that that I never had. That that was that was the idea I had in my head. And uh, started my third year of college. Nine eleven happens. I can remember almost in absolute vivid detail every moment of that day from the time I saw the towers were being attacked until I was supposed to go to school the next morning after I got off work. And I just, everything is so crystal clear and it almost runs in a little bit of slow motion throughout the entire day. I worked a graveyard shift that night, you know, just making money, trying to get myself through school got off work at six o'clock in the morning, went and got some myself from breakfast, went, drove straight to the college. I was waiting on my morning class to start and I was just staring at the building. And two hours later, I'm still sitting there staring at that building. I never got out. I couldn't go to my class. It just, it didn't make sense to me anymore. It wasn't in my heart anymore. I come from a military family. My grandfather served in World War II. Most of my uncles were in Vietnam, all of the ones that were old enough anyway. It's just, it's what we did. I don't know if it was genetic or if it was just, we got hit a little bit too hard on the head when we were young and didn't know any better. (laughs) Whatever it was, it was just something that it it had to be done. It, It was in me and 
Whenever I got like that, that's just what I did. I followed my heart. So I went down to the recruiters and I volunteered. Uh, the Air Force and the Navy told me I was having too much fun in college that I needed to go talk to the Marines. <laughs> that's great. So that's what I did. I went and talked to them and I went and talked to the Army too. And both of them were, were ready to go. So I told them the first one to get me on a bus to boot camp wins. Wow. Army already had like a four-month wait and the Marines had a bus coming on Friday. Wow. So I ended up in the Marines. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Yeah, eight years later, I already done a deployment to Iraq, came back, told myself that I never wanted to deploy in that job field again, so I changed jobs. I volunteered and lap moved into EOD. You know, it was probably the, the most challenging and fun thing I ever set out to do in my life. One of definitely the most rewarding things I ever got to do in my life. Man, is probably one of the things I wish I could go back and second guess all the time. Sure. I got to do a lot of great things. I got to work with the president. That was that was special. It was not the president I wanted to work for, but I was supporting the president of the United States. Right. That was, was like, holy moly, what is going on? This is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Take us into that day. I mean, what, what kind of happened that kind of changed the, the course of the future? Oh, my God. That was probably one of the craziest days that we had out there. Um, we were literally coming off of two days of stop. We didn't do anything for 48 hours because our battalion commander had just lost his legs on a patrol. And they completely shut down the entire battalion for two days to kind of make sure everybody's heads were straight before they sent them back out there. And uh, first day we go back on combat ops, we're busy. We're getting calls all day, always. Just We never really got a moment to sit down. We never even ate that day, the whole day. Wow. Every time we got back to base, we tried to sit down and make some food and kind of set ourselves up and take a moment, and we just never had the time. Every time we'd just about get it going, we were back out the door running on a call. And uh, end of the day, well, I don't know. I guess it's probably about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We've only got about three and a half hours, maybe four hours of sunlight left. It's the uh, middle of December. Days are getting real short. And we've got one more dismounted patrol that we have to be on. So we step out on this patrol. we got about five clicks. we got to push out to a village. We get to the village, and before we even get into the village, I can already see that we're going to have problems. There's one alley in particular in this village that every time we're there, we end up having to do work in. It's guaranteed. And uh, I noticed this before we ever even got there. So we intentionally kind of pushed to the side of it and uh, did what we had to do inside the village. And uh, before we got out of there, we had just enough daylight left that we wanted to check it out and make sure that there was nothing there. No reason for us to come back the next day. So when I went down and checked everything out, uh, sure enough, I located an IED. Mm. Um, I immediately went to work on it. Uh, everything we were doing was manual. We were dismounted, no trucks, no robots, no bomb suits. It was mono and mono for just about everything that we were doing. And we were trying to be as safe and as remote as we possibly could. But man, situation dictates what you got to do. Sometimes the first IED, everything went the way it was supposed to. I got it out, collected all my components. Uh, placed the charge on it, and when the charge went off, uh, I went back down to do a secondary sweep. And uh, 
found a second IED. Uh, told Jesse what was going on, told him I was going to be working on another one, keep everybody down. And as soon as I went back to work on it, it went off. Jeez. Oh, my goodness. On my hands and knees, kneeling over the top of it, my face was all of about two feet away from the thing. And that was lights out. That was the last memory I've got of Afghanistan. So when you woke, where were you? Uh, when I woke up, I was at Walter Reed. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Jeez. It was little over, right at about two weeks that I lost in there, either being in a coma or in a medically induced coma or just being so doped up and banged up from the blast that I just don't remember anything. I mean, these types of things happen probably a little bit more frequently than a lot of folks are aware of. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, have you had an opportunity to go back to Walter Reed and, and see some of the, your fellow brothers and sisters in arms there that have gone through the same kind of trauma in terms of one day they're in Afghanistan, the next day they wake up and they're at Walter Reed? Oh, yeah. Well, right now there's almost nobody left at Walter Reed. All the guys at Walter Reed right now are, you know, car accidents, cancer patients, all the guys that are coming in that are having problems with the burn pits from Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, all those places that we're all probably going to end up in 10, 15 years. Right, right. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, that's that's all that's at Walter Reed right now. There's a handful of guys that are still hung over or, or still left over just because they live in the area and it's a convenience for them to go there and use the facilities. But everybody's scattered. They're they're all back home trying to trying to put themselves and their lives back together. I mean all across the country, scattered as far as you can scatter them, and they're alone. Have you heard from any of them, especially since you put yourself out there for to assist them and uh, share your story? I mean, have you have you heard about how any of them are doing or if they're struggling or if you've... Well, I try and keep in contact with them as much as I can. I mean, that's the one truly saving grace about the society that we have come home to. Social media is an absolute godsend when it comes to keeping in touch with people especially people who are scattered across the country facebook instagram they're all over it these guys love getting out and trying to share and do as much as they possibly can it makes them feel normal mm -hmm. you know and when you can communicate with these guys when a guy's having a hard time he can just send you a facebook message and he knows you know you're gonna get it it's reassuring to them sometimes. It was one of the reasons why I got on Facebook in the very beginning was college buddies and army buddies. I mean, let's face it, it was one of these opportunities. I didn't realize the real opportunity there to connect and reconnect with people that I had served with. And you're right, it's that instant connection. And you find that, and I know you've probably experienced it as well, Marcus, being out here for some time period that as soon as you meet a veteran, it's like family. You, you mentioned that and you use that term of family. And it really is. It's an instant connection and a bond that it's hard to describe. It's comfort. You know, and that's the thing is like human nature, you are constantly craving connection. And when you are left with none, you go just down the spiral of mental and fit more physical issues. But that's one thing that I, I try to like press a lot with veterans is like you will you will slowly find what you're looking for. If you go talk to another vet, because it doesn't matter if your experiences are the same. Like I know if I were to see you on the street, we'd be like, let's go have a beer and just talk about it. We don't even have to talk about our service. Just the fact mm -hmm. that I know that you get it. And that's the comfort we need. And that's the connection we need because we just don't, we're not assimilated to society anymore. 
you know it's not like we're like the black sheep but it's like it's just a different we just need that separate connection to go on you know and yeah thank praise social media for once even though it does piss <laughs> me off a lot so <laughs> but, at least 10 times a day yeah <laughs> so it sounds like though since you've been out you've been able to take a lot of what you wanted to do as an educator and combine that with the passion that someone like Chris Kyle introduced you to in the hospital and and put the two together and start serving in different ways back to either the veteran community or in helping youth. So tell us a little bit about what you've been doing and how that's kind of matured into different aspects of your life. Yeah, well, uh, you know, obviously we had a little bit of steam coming out of the hospital. I've gotten such an amazing opportunity to work with this organization and they did something that was very unique for me. They didn't come to me and say, we're going to do all these great, amazing things for me. They came to me and said, we think you have potential and we want to give you an opportunity. You know, it was like, what you guys right. really, that, that that's the approach you guys want to take. And I said, well, yeah, we don't want to give you a handout. We want to give you a hand up. Yeah. I was like, Oh, got love it. that. Don't, yeah. yeah. Got to write that down. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, I got to write that down. <laughs> Like, so we took that concept and we took the idea that these ladies had put together and, you know, they had something very special, very unique. It was purely from the heart and it was absolutely 100% driven in the right direction. And the only thing that they've asked about everybody that they brought on from the very inception was just to stay true to who they were in the very beginning, stay true to that original mission. And everything else has just been amazing watching it unfold. Uh, from you know building out the um, military recovery fund, our urgent assistance fund, you know, watching that grow from a sixty thousand dollar a year program into you know a two million dollar a year program, being able to reach out and turn all that money around and put it back into the community, and doing it the right way, making sure we were giving it to the right people, the people that were headed in the right direction, the people that were going to take that opportunity and they were going to seize it and make something out of their lives, make something special out of it and represent not just the organization, but all veterans because they got that handout and show people that it's not just about riding on people's coattails because of where we've been and what we've done. We're not special, but we might need a little, a little special poke in the right direction from time to time. We, we're kind of special kids, right? <laughs> we are the special society. <laughs> We don't do well without direction. You know, that's why whenever somebody starts yelling, our ears perk up, our eyes poke up. It's like suddenly we're listening and we're tuned in because, oh, my God, that must be serious. That's something I need to listen to. You know, when people are talking calmly to us and they're trying to give us directions and trying to give us guidance, it's almost like it doesn't compute for a little while because right. it doesn't make sense. You, you can't be telling me anything important. You're not screaming at me and belittling me. <laughs> Everything has to have some sort of force behind it. Right. For urgency. It, urgency. It does at some point. <laughs> and so you've now started taking, though, the education process or component of your back life and started using that, helping them launch and follow 2015, this program that they've now done called the Patriot League. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this is something that was, you know, we knew it was going to be special as soon as we started talking about it. Uh, a couple of ladies had brought it up a couple of times during our monthly meetings. You know, we'd sit down and we have these big brainstorming sessions. Well, where do we want to go? How do we want to work it? What do we want to do? What are our big goals for the year and for next year? 
And we kept kind of talking about this, this curriculum that we wanted to kind of throw back into schools. And it, it was really iffy in the beginning because a lot of us didn't realize how much, you know, school curriculums have changed over the last 20 years. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. It, it was absolutely mind-blowing, you know, whenever these ladies, and half of them were former educators, were telling us about it how scripted and how reduced their curriculums have been and just how controlled the entire environment was at school. And it was almost like, well, what are you even educating? What are you even giving back to these kids? Yeah. And that it's so hard. It really is so hard connecting with the kids because of, of what they've got in front of them. So these ladies, they got together and they said, we're going to do something and we're going to get it back into schools. And, you know, we want to do it the right way because that's just what boot campaign does. When they do something, they spend the time on it and they make sure they're doing it the right way. They went to all the right people, got all the right information, and then they turn around and they give it away for free. Wow. All you have to do is sign up for it and everybody's eligible for it. If you're a homeschool mom, a teacher, a PTA organizer, a, a principal, if you have something to do with organizing children and passing on information, this program's available to you and it's all written out. And it's it's so simple reintroducing some of those patriotic themes back into our schools, re-educating our kids about where liberty came from and what it really means to us and what we're willing to do to defend it. That's that's what these kids need to be hearing. They get so disconnected from everything that's going on in their studies because it's it's all ancient history. Right. Nothing relevant about it. Well, this is bringing relevance to their classroom. This is giving them something that they can engage right now. They not only get to learn about it in school, but they can take it home and they can write a letter to a soldier and they can suddenly feel connected that they've done something and they provided something to this world. For children, that's so important that they feel connected because that's what makes them want to learn more and make them fight harder for that information. If someone's interested in finding out information about this, how would how would they go about doing that? Uh, absolutely. Boot Campaign's website, www.bootcampaign.org. All of the information's on there. Everything is hyperlinked. They've spent tons of time organizing the website. All the financial numbers are there. Nothing's hidden. It's black and white right in front of you. If you want to know something or get involved with any of the programs, it's step-by-step to the website. Everything is... It, it couldn't be easier. You were talking about the sense of connection and all of that. I think the same is true for our 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 troops over in Afghanistan and needing that sense of connection back here to the states and hearing it from a small voice, as we all know, and because uh, they're real, they're going to keep it real. You know, well, the fact that they get it—that's yeah. what's important—is that you know you you come up across a kid that just you know, comes and thanks you for your service or, you know, is happy that you're home, even your own child. But the fact that they get it and you're offering this program that teaches them, it's not, they're just not saying it, but they're understanding, you know, like you said, how our country, what we're doing for our country, the people, this is the generational shift that we need to get away from this entitled society. Yeah. So like you said, start, so we got to, we got to go back to our roots, like way back, you know, back in, in grade school to, to get that shift. So we got to stop waving the Play-Doh in front of them in the front of the classroom and telling them about it, put it in their hands and watch what they do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is really cool. If you know an educator, you know, a homeschool mom or a PTA leader, somebody that's, you know, invested 
and doing something the right way for the kids that wants to do something to get these kids headed back in the right track. Tell them about it. Give them the information. Tell them about the boot campaign. Let them look us up. Let them find the information on their own because then it's just going to mean so much more to them. You know, they kind of heard about it, but then when they find it and they realize that it's actually something that's meaningful, that's when it's special and that's whenever they take hold of it. We've got the videos out. We've got the stories out. I've been to the schools. I got to go to two of them personally this year. I got to see the kids' reactions whenever they were involved in this program. We went to an elementary school right outside of Amarillo, and the entire grade level was just absolutely obsessed with the fact that they could do something and make a difference in the world. Sure. We went to a, a junior high school in Nevada, right outside of Las Vegas, and it was the entire junior high that was involved in it. They put out an entire day, held a huge fundraiser and a rally, brought veterans in from all over their town and honored them. And it was the first time that many of these veterans had ever been honored in their entire lives. One of the gentlemen was a veteran of world war two, Korea and Vietnam. Oh my gosh. Jeez. The dude, I, I, I had the shakes when I was standing next to him and he was telling us about everywhere they had been and everywhere they did all the things that he had seen. It was just mind-blowing that this guy had actually done all of that. Mm. And he, he sat there and he said, this was the first time anybody had ever invited him out. This was uh-huh. the first time anybody had ever even said thank you. Or just he asked just, about what he's done, I'm sure. Yeah. Wow. Those kids, they created such an amazing environment in that school that day because they had educated themselves and they had taken the time to invest in it when they brought those people in, that old man, he said, I've never been more comfortable in an atmosphere that was deliberately doing something for veterans. And it's all because of these kids. These kids have done something. They made me feel so comfortable that he said he was able to talk about things that he's never even talked about with his family, just sitting around talking with a group of kids because they were there and they wanted to listen. Yeah. It's a great connection, and kudos to you guys for coming up with it. Well, it's so personal, you yes. know, and it does it, it. And it, it, like, this is we always talk about bridging the divide between the civilian population and the veteran population. And this is, you know, especially starting at our youth who they are so impressionable. This is, this is bringing a community back together. And like you said, like that, those veterans that are able to open up and talk, I mean, to children, things they've never said to their families, like, that is the connection that the veterans need. That's the healing that they need. And that's the education that these, these children need to grow up and, and be good American people. And that that's like, you have to start, like you said, square one, which is right back in the schools. Yeah. You know, start them early. Give them a sense of responsibility. Give them a sense of connection to the world. When they grow up attached to these video games and the internet and everything that we've got going on, by the time these kids are 18 years old, they've matured to the level of about a 12-year-old. You know, right. They're completely incapable of making a decision and standing by it. They're not capable of making an adult decision. And it's because of the society that we've created around them. What's next for Marcus? Uh, right now, I'm just kind of resting. Uh, taking a little bit of the summer off. I'm <clears throat> trying to uh, get everything squared away back here in Texas and uh, get my home underway once we get all that squared away we'll go back on the road in september and 
put our nose back to the grindstone and start helping people, start trying to get the message out. Really kind of try and stay away from a lot of the professional stuff just because it's, you know, people are there for that. Uh, I want to I go into smaller settings. I want to grab people whenever they're not expecting it. I want to, you know, show up in a room full of people that are there to listen to some guy talk about the price of beer and he says, oh, by the way, I've got a friend here that wants to talk to you. And I get to share my story with people that had absolutely no idea that it was coming and changed some lives. That's awesome. Marcus, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, of course, changing ours. Because, you know, the message that you have given us, it was very inspirational. Well, just being, you've been so authentic and transparent. And, and that's yeah. yeah, that is, this has been probably one of the most real shows that we've had. And I just, I appreciate it so much. And I know the vets listening our audience and the people that you're impacting is just, it's, you are changing and saving lives. And I thank you so much for what you're doing. No, thank you guys. I truly appreciate it. I'm absolutely honored that you guys are bringing me on here and give me a platform on your show. I think you guys are doing an amazing job. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio.